from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Hey there. We're here with another... um, you know what? Let's do this. Diana, give me an adjective describing today's episode. Audacious. Welcome to another audacious episode of Ridiculous Romance. I'm into it. That's audacious. A different word every time. There's enough words. There's so many words. There are. Holy God, there are so many words. There really are. Yep. We got um, a lot to choose from. Yes. And we're going to use a lot of them today to tell you this very audacious story. <laughs> uh, we're so glad you tuned in. We're so glad you're back. We hope you've been enjoying uh, your various weekends and your Facebook shutdowns. <laughs> and uh, we've it's a hard day. Yeah, I hope of not procrastinating online. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what. I was on Twitter so much more today than I usually am. <laughs> I, was I like, know, right? Oh no! What happened? That's what I don't post very often for myself, but I've been on a more because. Fringe has a show coming up sure. this weekend that we're producing, so I'm trying to promote, you know, the show, and so I got to be on the social media, and it was a real hard day today <laughs> to be like, no, a whole day of ads, gone. Uh, 
Let's do it. If you're in Atlanta on October 8th and 9th, yeah, what have, you do? Uh, Atlanta Fringe and Metropolitan Studios in East Atlanta Village. We are partnering to, to do some Pride weekend programming. So we have a bunch of LGBTQ uh, performances, including Gay History for Straight People, which is uh, Leola Ladyland, a lesbian, redneck, senior citizen, drag queen. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> and she'll be taking us through the wonderful world of gayness from anal beads to unicorns. Oh. And uh, she's so <laughs> fun. She's so funny. And then there's a big, uh, like, a amazing burlesque and drag lineup that Metropolitan Studios is bringing. We're doing a virtual drag queen storytelling hour on Saturday. We have a panel of artists talking about the intersection of art making and identity. And, yeah, very happy for the very strict COVID protocols required by the venue, which is... You have to show proof of vaccination at the door and you have to wear a mask the whole time you're inside. So it's just a small space. So they don't want to take any chances. Yeah, we're just trying to make safe art again. I know, right? We want people to take their, we want to see titties. We don't want to see your (laughs) mouth. So if you are in Atlanta this very weekend, (laughs) October 8th and 9th, 2021, I know uh, that's only mere days after this episode airs. Mm -hmm. So regular listeners, you might catch it. Um, if you show up and find us and tell us you heard about it from Ridiculous Romance, we will be very happy to hear oh that. Oh, my God. <laughs> All that being said, we're excited to get right into today's episode. This episode was suggested through Instagram um, by Chelsea. She's whoa, I'm tripping on Instagram. So yes. thank you so much, Chelsea, for this idea. This was a really good one. Yeah. We uh, really enjoyed this. Very excited. It also uh, got me to watch this movie, which I've always wanted to see. Yeah. I love you, Philip Morris. Yeah. uh, Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor. And it's excellent. And we'll be talking about that with Mm -hmm. the episode as well. Yep. So Stephen J. Russell was working as a deputy with the local police and he was married with a young daughter. But then one day, everything changed and he left his family to live openly as a gay man. But he also financed his life with a series of scams and fraud, Uh-oh. <laughs> a bunch of other criminal behavior. And when one of his cons landed him in the clink, he ended up meeting the love of his life, Philip Morris. And that's just the beginning of the story. It sure is. And this story is all over the place. So let's. <laughs> so you will laugh. Let's do it. <laughs> yes, please. Hey there, friends. Come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. Stephen Russell was born on September 14th, 1957. If he had been born one minute earlier, he would have been a Friday the 13th baby. It's a little Halloween for you. Um, He lived in Virginia. He was raised by David and Georgia Russell, who ran one of the largest food produce companies in the state. And when he was 12, they sat him down to inform him that he had actually been adopted. In a very weird way. Oh. In an illegal transaction where they basically met in a parking lot and traded a wad of cash for a squaddled infant, like five days old. (laughs) Yeah, obviously, this is like a really hard and confusing thing for a 12 year old to learn. And it certainly showed itself in some behavioral issues. Also, his cousins kind of teased him about it a lot. I mean, you know. Yeah, everybody's big brother, <laughs> older cousins, whatever, love to tell them they were adopted. You know, it's like oh, cruelty. yeah, sure, sure. But he struck back in a big way. 
he burned down his cousin's garage. Oh. And another time, he set fire to a classmate's jacket in school. I didn't, like, damage the wall. Sure. Fire <laughs> does that. Fire does do damage. <laughs> surprise, surprise. To things other than what you set on fire very often. <laughs> a lot of unintended consequences with yes. fire. Yes, yes. Um, so, of course, this caught people's attention. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they noticed that shit. And he spent 30 days in a hospital psychiatric ward and then nine months in the Hanover Boys' Home. You know, getting, like, anger management therapy. They were trying to help him figure out some things. Right. Um, and then he was released on Friday, May 13th, 1971. Friday the oh. 13th became his lucky day after that. That's two Friday the 13ths. During his time at the boys' home, Stephen says that he discovered his IQ, which is 163, so he's, like, a genius-level okay. intelligence. yeah. That he experienced physical abuse from the older and larger boys in this boy's home who were also there because of some criminal tendencies. Of course, Mm -hmm. they were probably pretty rough. And that he also had homosexual experiences in this boy's home that he found enjoyable. And he was like, oh, I actually like that. Okay. Um, So that was something he learned. Those were things he learned about himself, I guess, while he was in this boy's home. Now, after he got out of the home, he did shape up for a while. When he was 18, he joined the family produce business, where it turned out that his father, David Russell, had been conspiring with other Virginia companies to fix the price of produce sold to Virginia school districts. Yikes. So shady. And right away, Stephen contributed to these schemes by convincing his dad to get a few more new contracts that he could price fix, too. He's like, I want in, Dad. Mm -hmm. This looks cool. I can do this. Those new contracts? U.S. military bases. Not smart. (laughs) I don't think that's a good choice. The military, they have a little more know-how about, like, shady shit. They're a little more vigilant than your average school district. (laughs) And they immediately smelled something fishy about this Mm -hmm. produce. They were like, this is produce. It should not smell like fish. But all I'm getting is tuna. So they quickly issued indictments against all five produce companies. And his dad rolled over and helped the investigation it ended up for him with just a fine and a probation sentence. That's not so bad. So not so bad for dad. Yeah, not so bad you know, for dad. All you got to do is uh, snitch on your other produce guys. <laughs> I guess I'll give up my tomato gun. <laughs> I guess I guess the like threat of snitches get stitches isn't as strong coming from like yeah. the vegetable guys. <laughs> Big zucchini. <laughs> <laughs> but Stephen was never implicated, so. He may have also rolled over. There's some suspicion amongst, Mm. I guess, the produce community (laughs) that he maybe rolled over on them as well. He rolled Um, over like a like a unripe pepper. The peppers roll over. If they're not ripe, they do. (laughs) (laughs) He rolled over like a hard tomato. Yeah, there you go. Like a soft tomato. Rolled over like a melon. Yeah. So yeah, as far as anybody knew, he was a law-abiding citizen. Um, He played the organ at his local church every Sunday, and he volunteered as a deputy police officer, and he married the chief of police's secretary, Debbie. And then they had a daughter together, Stephanie. So he's just this regular old suburban family man in Virginia. Is everything chills, normal. Kind of boring, actually. He's kind of a normal dude. (laughs) Until he decided to use his access as a deputy to find his birth mother. So it was a little bit... um, shady to do that because obviously she she probably didn't want to be found. Right, right. If it takes the police to track you down, then you didn't want to be tracked down. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. 
But he was like, whatever, rules don't apply to me. Yeah. We'll see many times in the story. <laughs> He's like, let me look, look her up. And she still lived in the area, so she was still local, was not hard to find her. His birth parents' names were Thomas and Brenda Basham. And when he confronted them, he discovered that he was the second of their four children, and he was the only one that they had given up for adoption. God damn. That's I mean, wrenching. It happens, but you got to wonder what. It's not the kind of thing you want to discover. I mean, you, that would definitely no. leave you with a lot of questions. Yeah. Even if you had a great excuse for it, I right. think it would be incredibly hard not to still be right. like, oh, I guess I was just this one gross kid or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And at first, Brenda did not believe that he was her son. She kind of like pushed him away again. Yeah. But eventually, she and his siblings like accepted him into their lives for a while. Okay. Now, around the time David, his father, and the other produce companies are rolling over to the feds, Stephen and his wife Debbie and daughter Stephanie moved to Boca Raton, Florida, where he was hired as a patrolman focusing on DWI arrests. But he was fired a year later for repeatedly calling in sick while trying to get a new job with the Florida Highway Patrol. <laughs> so they ended up... Can't come in, got an interview. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they ended up moving back to Virginia, but... He was arrested there for stealing jewelry and computers. I was only sentenced to five years in probation, so not too bad. A little slap on the wrists. I mean, for stealing jewelry and computers. computers? Yeah. In the in the eighties, yeah. I mean, computers. How, how do you even steal a computer in the eighties? They I were know. as big as a house. You like put it under his shirt, <laughs> but he can't leave the building. He's got a whole semi truck backed up, <laughs> forklifts coming in and out. Jeez. I've almost got half the computer loaded, boss. Just need a few more hours. We'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> so anyway, he got another produce job, this time with wholesale grocery company Cisco. Yeah. Classic Cisco, thong song. Um, <laughs> this required him to relocate to Houston, Texas. And Debbie and Stephanie stayed in Virginia while Stephen went ahead to Houston. And it was like a whole new world for Stephen. Uh, his biographer, Steve McVicker, wrote... He'd done the circuit of anonymous bathroom sex in Norfolk area parks for years. So he'd still been kind of, you know, trying to get some gay experiences yeah. on the down low while he was still married. Right. Um, but the Montrose area of Houston was known for having a large homosexual community. They had like a plethora of gay bars. This is something he didn't have access to in Virginia. Mm. So it was like, I think, went straight to his head. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. He got very, he went out a lot. He got very familiar with that world. By the time Debbie and Stephanie joined him in Houston in January 1985. And for over a year, he kept his flings a secret. So he was still going out in this community. He was still, he was doing like some drugs and he was meeting men anonymously and, and having flings and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But Debbie didn't know anything about it. Until in April 1986, he was in a terrible car accident, coming home late from one of his nights out. Yeah. And Debbie nursed him back to health, but she had kind of started to suspect that he was cheating on her. Right. So he finally came clean about his sexuality. He confessed to her that he was gay. They agreed to divorce, but they remained close friends, which I think is pretty cool because yeah. Debbie was like a very religious person. Right. And, you know, in and conservative. this conservative area and could have gone very differently oh yeah very yeah. very differently so i think that says a lot about her yeah good for debbie right we like debbie this week thanks debbie yeah <laughs> so debbie took stephanie back to virginia leaving him you know in houston to his new life right 
In the early 90s, Stephen was working as a sales manager for a food service company in Houston, and they found out that he was gay, and it was the early 90s in Texas, so they were able to just fire him for that. Mm. That, of course, really screwed with his head, and he felt like he'd lost control of his life at that point. He was angry, and he decided, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm sick of, you know, slaving away for the man. I'm going to take it out on them. And he went out and started selling fake Rolex watches. You know, he'd had it. Why live legitimately when I can't even be who I am without Mm -hmm. them coming after me? I tried to keep a good job. Screw it. He went and started selling watches. Did he call them Folex? Probably. And they should have. Yeah. (laughs) And then soon after that, he maybe took it a step further and went ahead and defrauded an insurance company. (laughs) Ah, damn. For $45,000 for pretending to hurt himself in a fall. Then in 92, he was arrested for lewd behavior, the insurance fraud, Mm -hmm. and submitting a fake passport application. All this is pretty rough, and it landed him a 10-year sentence in Harris County Jail. And at the time, he was dating a man named Jimmy Kempel, who had recently actually been diagnosed with AIDS. And in the early 90s, AIDS was pretty much a death sentence for most people, sadly. And Stephen was really mostly just terrified of being in prison, unable to care for this guy that he loved. Yeah. He knew that with this long sentence, which was all stacked up for his... Many, Multiple crimes. Many crimes. <laughs> uh, he knew by the time he got out for all that, Jimmy would be dead. Yeah. So, obviously, he had to get out of prison. Right. So, Stephen watched, and he learned, and he planned. He observed the shift changes of the guards for four weeks. And during that time, he managed to collect a pair of plain sweatpants, as well as a tie-dye t-shirt from Uh a room where they stored personal items of female inmates. Okay, not seeing how this is going to get anybody out of prison, but go on. (laughs) All he needed was like an accessory to give him an air of authority. Oh, sure. So he lifted a spare radio that the guards usually carried, like a little walkie-talkie. Uh-huh. And he stashed all that shit away. He waited for the guards to go on their usual smoke break. And then he quickly put on the outfit, and he casually walks over to the door, and he taps on the window of the glass with the walkie-talkie. He had seen, like, other guards do this before, and they would just open the door. And so the guards thought he was an undercover police officer, dressed for the street, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) And they opened the gate, and Stephen walked right out the front door of one of the busiest and most secure jails in Texas. He said, those first moments of freedom felt amazing. Such an adrenaline rush. Best of all, I knew I would get to see and take care of Jimmy. And that he did. He went straight to his apartment where Jimmy had been staying, and he told him, hey, uh, we got to go and we got to go now. Mm. And so they packed up and they planned to head to Mexico. But then less than a week later, they were down in the Miami airport getting ready to leave the country for good. And the police were there waiting. Mm. Stephen was arrested again and brought back to court. Now, the judge ordered a bail of only $20,000, which Stephen was actually easily able to pay. What with all, I guess, the the money he stole. (laughs) With all the fraud, you see. (laughs) And while on bail, they managed to get themselves on a plane and they flew to Mexico City. Time to party. Number one flight risk, Stephen Russell. (laughs) 
After they landed, Stephen called the Harris County Sheriff and told him he was in the Dominican Republic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he told the sheriff, I hope you don't blame my escape on those guards who were out there taking a smoke break. You could fix the problem if you just allowed smoking back in jail. Ah, the balls! <laughs> to which the sheriff replied, fuck you. <laughs> How else are you supposed to respond to that? Right? So they lived it up in Mexico for a while. But eventually, money troubles caught up to them again. And Jimmy's health also began to deteriorate. And proper medical care wasn't really available. So they were forced to return to the U.S. Jimmy spent two years on the lam with Stephen before the authorities finally caught up with them, which is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he must have been taking pretty good care of Jimmy. I think so, yeah. But yeah, ultimately another insurance scam went wrong. Right. Got bungled up, and Stephen was back before a judge. He said, the last time I saw Jimmy, he was in a holding cell in front of me, and Stephen was sentenced to six months. They spoke every day, but Jimmy was getting weaker all the time. Now, Jimmy was also supposed to be in jail because he was a, totally an accomplice to some of these insurance scams and stuff like right. that. But he'd been given a compassionate release because of his illness. They basically sent him home to die. You know, they were like, don't stay here. And that gave Stephen the idea to fake having AIDS as well. Oof. Crazy. Yikes. So a doctor on the inside in the jail coached him about the symptoms, which he was probably pretty familiar with anyway. Right. Taking after taking care of Jimmy for so long. Sure. Um, and he also falsified his prison health records to include a positive lab test. Wow. And they never checked for themselves, I guess. Yeah. He looked so bad on paper that when he petitioned authorities to drop his federal charges, they did. Wow. <laughs> they were like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I guess you're sick. So that, that took care of some charges, okay? But he had a lot of charges. <laughs> many, many charges. Right. So there was still the matter of this six-month sentence left to serve. Okay. And then only a few weeks into that six-month sentence, while Stephen was enacting this great plan, Jimmy passed away mm -hmm. and said he had his dog lying on his bed beside him back in his Aww. home in Florida. That's nice. Stephen, of course, was devastated. Mm -hmm. But he was stuck in Harris County Jail, and he was actually awaiting transfer to a state penitentiary. He spent months escaping into books, this time, at the prison law library, where one day in December of 1994, he met fellow inmate Philip Morris. Mm -hmm. And I say that we meet fellow inmate Philip Morris right after a little commercial break. Love it. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. And we're back. So Philip Morris, this fellow inmate that Mm -hmm. Stephen Russell just bumped into in the law library, he was a small, blonde, soft-spoken man. He was diabetic, and he didn't have a lot of impulse control, so he had this habit of going into, like, gas stations or 7-Eleven or something and buying 12 donuts and then eating them all at once. (sighs) Um, Which I don't know a lot about diabetes, but as I understand it, that's really bad. I think that's bad. (laughs) But... He was hardly a criminal mastermind. I mean, this guy was just a sweet little dude mm-hmm. who liked sugar. <laughs> <laughs> but in 1989, when he was only 20 years old, he rented a car to move from Houston to Atlanta. And he was arrested for never returning the rental car. Kind of just hung on to it a little too long. <laughs> How is that a mistake? <laughs> How do you hang on to a rental car I by know. accident? Well, it probably wasn't an accident. It was probably just like, I just, oh, shit, I still need this car. I still need this car. That's true. And eventually, you know, you kind of, it kind of becomes normal to you, you know, and you stop, yeah, you stop making the payments mm-hmm. and then you're like, oh, shit, I should pay for that car. And the next thing you know, months have gone by. I get it. That's all I'm saying. Have you stolen a rental car? No, I'm just saying for a slippery <laughs> mind like mine, uh, it wouldn't be that it, hard it, it, to it, let it slide for a little too long. Mm. <laughs> So he was arrested and, you know, they set up a series of restitution payments that he was going to have to pay in lieu of jail time. Mm -hmm. But years later, he was struggling to keep up with these payments and he was arrested again for breaking his probation. And that landed him in Texas's Harris County Jail. In December of 1994, he was in the law library researching something for his dying cellmate. And he's only five foot two. Like we said, this is a little guy. And he was reaching for a book on a very high shelf. And suddenly this hand reaches up and grabs it for him with ease. He hands it to him. And it was Stephen Russell, 
who was six foot two. Mm. So a big <laughs> height difference between them, a full foot. And he told Philip, you know, hey, don't hesitate. If you got any questions at all, I'm a lawyer. So you can ask mm. me. He even opened up the Texas legal directory as proof and pointed to his name. See, Stephen J. Russell. Philip later said, we had these little armbands that have our prison ID number and our birth date, and it all matched up. He was a lawyer. I believed it. <laughs> Stephen said in an interview, oh, I told him all kinds of bullshit. <laughs> oh, God. You don't expect to meet someone cool in jail. You expect to meet derelicts. And damn, was I wrong. Damn. So he's like, I just said some shit, but then he turned out to be cool. <laughs> so Stephen and Philip are in jail together, and they just completely fall for each other. Philip's birthday was even a Friday the 13th, uh, Stephen's lucky day. Hmm. So, I mean, this ding, 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 this is a sign lighting up like we are meant to be together for Stephen, right? Sure. And Philip had been kind of reclusive and shy in prison, like shy, like you've got to... <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, there is definitely a, a system of clicks I think you have to oh, figure yeah, out. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, but, but he basically kept to himself to kind of stay out of harm's way as best mm -hmm. as he could. Self-preservation, I think. But Stephen, he knew the system well, and he had like a whole network going on. He was connected to other prisoners, to guards, and even the outside world. And he used those connections to get transferred as Philip's cellmate. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Let me go live with my boyfriend for a while. Right? If this is prison, <laughs> I know, right? lock me up, throw away the key. <laughs> Philip said, we just had a bond that can't be described. We were so in tune with each other, and we could sit and not even speak. The next spring, both of them were released on parole. Stephen in October of 95, and Philip just two months later. So they left prison, two people who had fallen completely in love, and they decided to start over with a brand new life. And they bought a modest home in Clear Lake, and they decided to put their criminal past behind them. Yeah. But it wasn't long before they needed some money. Sure, sure, you need money. And to Stephen, some money wasn't really an option. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wanted, like, lots of money. Right. All or nothing. Yeah, right. So he called a friend, and he was able to cash out a not-so-legit life insurance policy that he had taken out on Jimmy Kimple. Yeah. His ex. At this point, he had actually taken out multiple life insurance policies on Jimmy, so... Yeesh. Not... Not exactly how things are supposed to go. <laughs> so he did some more insurance fraud. Yeah. And Stephen said, we bought each other Mercedes. It was outrageous, but we were on parole and we were free, so we had a good time. Hey, you know, <laughs> so you never were like, you know, I've got a lot of work to do, but fuck it. It's Saturday. Right. I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, hey, you know, all this is illegal, but you know what? We're on parole. <laughs> Let's on live parole. large. Let's go crazy. You'd think you'd be more careful on parole than you any would other think, time. But you might think a lot of things that don't end up being true about Stephen Russell. Mm, that's true, too. At some point, he needed a real job, though, right? To pay for this lavish lifestyle. Right. Like, your average life insurance policy, they, those weren't going to keep paying out forever. Mm -hmm. And they were buying each other Mercedes. Like, mm -hmm. they needed some income. So he got to work on his resume. He said, I'm going to get a job. Which, of course, meant he lied like crazy on his resume and went and stole a job. <laughs> he managed to get himself hired at North American Medical Management, or NAM. Remember back at NAM. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a company that oversaw the business affairs of private doctors and medical clinics. 
all the phone numbers on his CV just went straight back to Stephen. Oh, Lord. And he was a master at disguising his voice. So he would just answer the phone, give himself a review and a reference. And after an interview and a few phone calls, Stephen was hired at NAM as their chief financial officer. He got a C-suite job on a lie. <laughs> I mean, I was afraid to to like list all the roles I've gotten like on an acting resume for an mm-hmm. unpaid theater gig. You know, like yeah. I'm like, well, I shouldn't even put this one because it wasn't that big of a part. <laughs> I'm always like, don't say you know Excel. You don't know Excel. You're so bad at Excel. <laughs> this guy's like, I can run you the financial operations of your company. Let me lie. A whole life of financial <laughs> <laughs> excellence. He has no experience in finance. He has no actual history of employment at all, really. Not in anything like this. And out of nowhere, he gets hired into these guys with a starting salary of like $90,000 a year. Wow. In 1996, mm. which Calculating transfer rate. is $156,921 today. Whoa. So it's a pretty sweet salary for having no experience. Mm-hmm. The company's founder said that Stephen was, quote, a likable guy, engaging and easier to work with than most chief financial officers. The guy's the world's best actor. He said all the right things. Even though Stephen had no experience in this field and he wasn't much of an accountant, he poked around in the books a little. I guess he felt like, well, they're, you know, paying me to be a CFO. I guess I may as well pretend. So he pokes around the books a little and he found out that Nam was cheating itself out of money. Oh. It's a weird thing to hear about medical management. Company. Right. <laughs> you left something on the table? Jeez. What? Each month, Nam accumulated hundreds of thousands of dollars from clients. Sure. Which they held in, in accounts, but those accounts bore no interest. Oh. So Stephen saw that and he's like, hmm, let me just casually start shifting that money into interest bearing accounts. That simple trick within five months had generated almost $2 million in revenue for the company. Oh my God. That tiny trick. So anyway, put your shit in a high interest <laughs> savings account, people. So yeah, this is like a brilliant move. Like for real. This is the smartest thing ever. He should just be like, you know what? I guess I will be a CFO for the right. rest of my life you know and what? pull down this dope salary. I lied my way into this job, but uh, might as well legitimately keep it because I'm good at it. Yeah, it turns out I'm great at it. Makes sense. But no. Oops. <laughs> Not so much. He couldn't leave well enough alone, obviously. It's Stephen Russell. Yeah. So he decided that since he made such a clever decision, right. he deserved a little commission. Okay, that seems fair. Specifically half. Oh. Of whatever it made. 50%. A 50% commission. So in less than half a year, he skimmed $800,000 from oh, NAM wow. into like various personal accounts. Okay, but he also made them $800,000. It's very true. So uh, mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, well, that's that's your fault, ma'am. Okay. <laughs> Come on. I, I'd be like, all right, you know what? Maybe he lied, but give me one more good idea and you can stay. <laughs> right. One for you, uh-huh, one, one for, for me. me. <laughs> two for you, one, two for me. <laughs> Classic Bugs Bunny trick. Perfect. Now, Stephen himself suggested later that this wasn't just impulsive theft, right? It wasn't just like... Ooh, money, I'll take it. 
He says that when Jimmy was sick and dying from AIDS, the HMOs put them through absolute hell. Yeah. Which is believable for anyone who's ever lived in America. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm sure a lot of people who did have to live through the AIDS crisis are very familiar with this song and dance because I'm sure they were total dicks about it. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of being a gay virus or whatever. They wouldn't cover the cost of treatments, uh, and it was just constant money troubles for them. And when he was at NAM, he said, I watched executives badger their medical directors to put pressure on network physicians to get patients out of the hospital as soon as possible, because otherwise it would affect their bonus. (gasps) And that, he said, when he heard that shit, he got really fired up and vengeful. It just Mm -hmm. reminded him of that hell that he went through. And he was like, that's it. I have the ability now. I'm going to make someone pay. Specifically, I'm going to make someone pay me. (laughs) You know? (laughs) I know. But as long as they're paying, that's what I want here. It's just funny that he's like, no, 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 no. I had a bigger purpose. Right. But it wasn't really a bigger purpose. It was just a justification for doing what he was going to do anyway. I'm like a version of Robin Hood. I rob (laughs) from the rich and I give to the me. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's funny that he's like, I'm going to stick it to him. But then he made them more money. Right, right. Even that he stole some of it, but he left some of it. Yeah, I and, know. And he also gave him that trick, so they've probably <laughs> been making money off that trick ever since. <laughs> right. And like all this time, Philip was completely oblivious to what they were doing, according to Philip. Right. Of course, he insists to this day he had no idea Stephen was embezzling money. To Philip, he just landed the perfect man. This man who cared about and for him, and he handled all their financial interests. Stephen bought them like a huge house with a pool and fancy cars and jet skis. And they went to expensive restaurants all the time. And Philip says it just all fit. He said, hindsight is twenty twenty. I had no mind for finance. Steve would call me up in the middle of an afternoon and say, honey, get dressed and meet me at the Moose Cafe at six o'clock. We're going to celebrate. I made $90,000 today. And I didn't think, what illegal activity did you do? <laughs> Which I guess is fair. Yeah. But I might the have. First thing you reach to. Philip had just been lonely and miserable for so long. And he really thought that he had finally found happiness. Yeah. And safety, I guess. Sure, sure. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to pull into Speculation Station, though. Because, sure. I mean, I I pretty much believe Philip in these interviews where he says, like, you know, I didn't really know. But I also think that he he probably kind of chose not to know. Yeah. You know, like. That's what I think. he. Like, you can sort of choose ignorance without knowing what you're choosing, in a way, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like, you can say, I'm just not going to ask any questions. Yeah. And not even that, but just, like, very quickly convince yourself that this is normal. Mm -hmm. And to me, it seems like maybe something like that is going on, where he's like, oh, you made $90,000 in a day? That doesn't seem right. But if I poke at this, it might go away. So why would I poke? Yeah. Surely he would tell me if something bad was happening. Right. You know, and then you just very quickly convince yourself that you're not involved, you know, mm-hmm. and you're not really, but you probably could have been. Yeah, that's I think I think I agree with you because yeah. I feel like that's just a very human thing. Sure. You'd be like, everything's great. I know something bad is going on, like somewhere vaguely in my periphery, but right. I just won't look at it. Yeah. And if I don't look at it, it won't happen it's and it's not real. Yeah. And I, if as it edges its way into my vision, I'll just turn my head. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's 
that's what I think about this. Like he's he probably did have an inkling that there wasn't this was not yeah. legit. And then shut it down. But was just like, uh, I'm not I'm I'll trust him and he'll get me out of whatever mess he's getting me into. I would I would guess I'm certainly not anything close to a psychologist, but we're in speculation station. I could say whatever I want. That's right. Um, that that's that might be true of a lot of spouses of criminals, you know, yeah. who who sort of when you look back at it, and you're like, you totally should have known mm-hmm. that there's 30 bodies in your basement. Right. Sure. <laughs> but um, but they're like, I really just had no idea. And because they don't even realize mm-hmm. that they shut that part of their brain down. Yeah. It makes me think of Debbie. I wonder if she did something similar with the oh, cheating. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, where she's yeah. kind of like, I know something's happening, but I'm just not going to ask for yeah. a while until it's finally like, okay, man, what's going on? Like, How, uh, Yeah. How often do we do that every day? Or like, if I don't ask, always. it's not real. Yeah, always. How many people you know, don't go to the doctor because it's like, well, if I go to the doctor, then I get a diagnosis and then it's real. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. how many people, uh, you know, I don't uh, I don't look at the nutrition facts on the cereal <laughs> box I know, because right? then I know what I'm eating I and it's terrible know. news. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So yeah, yeah, it's a very human thing for sure, yeah. I think. Yeah. But of course... $800,000 in just a few months doesn't go missing without somebody noticing. Yeah, man. <laughs> and soon Stephen realized that they were on to him and it was time to disappear. So he went to every bank that he could find and he went to the ATM <laughs> and just took as much cash out as he could from each one. And he just stuffed suitcases full of cash. Philip was hanging out at his sister's house and Stephen shows up all frantic and harried, and he shoves an open briefcase full of cash in Philip's hands and says, here, baby, this is yours. Oh, Lord. <laughs> and in, in Philip's own recollection of the story, he told Stephen, you MFing blanking blank. Oh, <laughs> what a shit fit from Philip. <laughs> that is, you, you know you're on Philip's bad side. Okay. If he called you an MFing blanking blanking blank. blank. <sighs> I'm like, if he said MFing, I know. then what does blanking, blanking blank, blank stands for? Because I, I would think like, it was fucking fuck or. Right, or effing S head or yeah. something. <laughs> MFing, effing F. You MFing, effing F. That's what I would say. I know, it rolls off the tongue better than a blanking <laughs> blank. <laughs> but Philip was so mad, he kicked the briefcase and it flew up in the air and bundles of money just rained around the house. I mean, I bet he wasn't so mad to not pick up that money. Well, though. you know, like, yeah, he's like, how dare you as he's picking up like <laughs> stacks of cash i can't believe you did this stuffing it in his shirt <laughs> well soon after steven was arrested and so was philip oh turns out steven had been writing checks in six different variations of philip's name Ooh. and he had also like opened some of those accounts under like a fake social security number with philip's name right. and all this stuff so it made him totally look like an accomplice which if philip truly didn't know even if he like knew but wasn't asking mm-hmm. he didn't know that steven was using his name like that no, and that's, that's an true. extra level of yeah. fucked up i Very, think that's not cool yeah i just brought you into this without your consent kind of so as he's being arrested, Stephen told the officers that he was diabetic and he desperately needed his insulin, which of course is Philip's insulin. Right. Stephen is not diabetic. Right. So they brought him the whole kit, and in the back of the police car, Stephen gave himself 40 injections of insulin. Oh, my God. Yikes. Horrific. First of all, too many needles. Second of all, yes. way too much insulin. <laughs> <laughs> right. And he now says that that was a failed suicide attempt. 
Um, but Philip said that it was just all part of Stephen's plan because he knows it's easier to escape from a hospital than it is to escape from a jail cell or right. anywhere in the custody of law enforcement. So he's just like, get me to the hospital and I can get out from there. I kind of wonder, speculation station, yeah. if um, maybe it wasn't just like an either or thing. Mm-hmm. Like if he was, if it was a suicide attempt, he was like, well, if it kills me, great. If it doesn't, I'll be in a hospital and I can escape more easily from there maybe. That's true. Or vice versa. Like hopefully this sends me to the hospital and I can escape. But if it kills me, well, then it kills me. Right. I'm fucked either way. Maybe. I could see that. Hard to say. I could see that. And then even though this sent him into an insulin shock in the booking room, which must have been horrifying, <laughs> it didn't work to get him out of jail. <laughs> Philip was released on a $40,000 bond. But knowing Stephen all too well at this point, <laughs> Texas set his bail at $900,000. There you go. That was like deliberately to keep him from being able to pay. They wanted him in jail from his arrest all the way to his trial date. They were not trying to let him out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it looked like maybe this was the end for old Stephen. That kind of money was going to keep him behind bars, like we said, right up to the trial. There was no way out at this point. Yeah, right. <laughs> Come on. You know, Stephen, this was not going to keep him. Of course it wasn't. He Barely knew... an inconvenience. <laughs> he knew exactly what to do. And we're going to tell you about it. Right after this commercial break. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. 
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulges your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Welcome back to the thrilling conclusion of Stephen <laughs> Russell and Philip Morris's story. So yeah, some massive bond wasn't going to keep Stephen down. Yeah, 900,000 pish posh. Pish posh. So bond orders are typed up by lawyers, and the judge just has to sign it. And Stephen knew that, so he called up a friend in Florida, and he told him how to type one out, and he had it mailed to him in oh, the prison. okay. And then he hid the typed letter under his armpit. Right. And at a later hearing, as he was being walked from the prison to the courthouse, chained to other prisoners, he passed by a woman carrying a large stack of paperwork. So this was his moment. He dropped the letter as he passed her. Sure enough, somebody picked up the paper, and they were like, oh, you dropped this or whatever, and made its way to the deputy and eventually to the file folder in the courtroom. Incredible. That night, he called his Florida friend back and asked him to make a three-way call so that he could get through to the night clerk at the magistrate's court. Mm -hmm. Stephen, on the phone, pretended to be a judge, and he was like, Oh, hello! (laughs) This is Judge Radergaster. And, uh... I had a bond hearing for Stephen Russell today. If you haven't heard of him, let me adjust my monocle here. Yes. I filed the hard copy, but the clerk in the courtroom didn't enter it into the computer. So, my good friend here, the magistrate <laughs> <Why>? court, <laughs> you can respect my authoritative accent. This is Texas, bro. Would you please <laughs> handle that for me? Well, all right, but you sound like a mighty weird one. Yes. Oh, you know us judges. <laughs> all, it's, it's all that fancy education we get. Oh, all right. I know that education does that to you. <laughs> so sure enough, the night clerk files the paperwork, and within hours of that phone call, Stephen's bond was reduced from $900,000 to $45,000, which was, of course, a pittance compared to what he had. Mm-hmm. And at 8 p.m. on, guess when? Friday, July 13th, 1996, a bail bondsman came to the county jail and Stephen walked right out. Oh, my God. Once again. This guy. He just walks out the front door. That's how he does it. So Stephen's out. He went back to their house. He hopped the wall, starts banging on the door until Philip came around to open it. (laughs) And Philip, of course, is amazed and shocked to see him. They took a swim in the pool, and then Stephen told him once again, we have to leave right now. And he explained to Philip how he got out, but he added that there was a warrant out for Philip's arrest, too. 
Stephen used a phony answering service to convince Philip that his bond had been revoked and that he was going to be arrested. That's so fucked up. Because right. Philip had paid his bail. He was just out on bond. Yeah, he was out Waiting for on his bond. trial date. He was good to go. Yes. He would have been fine if he had just sat there quietly. Yeah. But he believed Stephen. He later said, being the gullible fool I am, I got scared and we ran. Big mistake. And they fled from Houston for Florida. But with Stephen's face being all over the papers, <laughs> there were they were only there for about a week before Stephen was arrested again and flown back to Houston. Oh, jeez. And Philip was not caught okay. at this time. But he, but he was on the run, which he didn't yeah, intend to be. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. And 20 police officers were waiting when the plane landed. Stephen pled guilty, and he was sentenced to 45 years in prison. Now, the one thing I think is interesting now, we've seen twice, that if Stephen hadn't gone back for Philip, mm-hmm. he probably would have been in the clear. Yeah, if he had just run somewhere else. He would have been a lot harder to find. So I think it really shows, like, that there is kind of a deep love story here. Absolutely. You know, I mean, there's no question that these two recklessly cared about each other, Mm -hmm. right? Um, It was obviously not a healthy relationship. (laughs) No. But but even even Stephen, um, you know... Couldn't stay away. He just, he needed Philip. And whether he needed him because he was a Mark, mm. you know, because he was someone who was gullible, mm. you know, that, that might be an element. I think he really did love him. But I think he also knew, like, I got to hang on to this one because I can do my thing mm-hmm. and he's not going to stop me. I think he loved him, too. It must be said the first time he escaped was for Jimmy. So it's it's always been for love that he's escaped from jail. Yeah. At least... Yeah. For his, in his mind. I, I just wonder if there wasn't already a relationship, if he would have found another reason to do it. Oh, sure. Um, the man did not like jail. Yeah. The, who does? You know, who can blame him? <laughs> but uh, but I was going to say, like, he seems to kind of need someone to need him. To yeah, take care sure, of sure. Them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I wonder if that has to do with kind of his family situation. I, mm. I think if you're a person who's been abandoned a lot or rejected a lot, you get need and want really wrapped up yeah. in each other. Where you're yeah. like, if you're really dependent on me, you can't leave. You me. won't leave. Yeah. And yeah, so definitely. I think that probably with Philip, he's like, ooh, here's a guy who really needs me. Yep. He's someone who wants to lean on someone else. Perfect for me. Yep. And then, of course, they also had clearly some real chemistry and, right. and real shit in common and stuff, too. I don't want to take away from that. Yeah. But I think that that was very attractive to a personality oh, like Stevens. Well, at this point, it seemed irrelevant because at a 45-year sentence in prison, it finally seemed to catch up to Stephen. He was locked up for a long, mm-hmm. long time. 45 years. That was going to be it. Mm-hmm. You know that's not going to be it. <laughs> of course not. Stephen started taking art classes while in prison. <laughs> this is how you expect every exciting story to begin, the right? A jailbreak. Class. Well, first there was an art class. <laughs> but this is, this is how Stephen's brain worked. With each art session he attended, he snatched up a green magic marker, like a green Sharpie, mm-hmm. and he hid it under his bed. Meanwhile, he was closely observing the woman who guarded the entrance to the unit where the inmates ate breakfast. She was always just yakking away on the phone, only half paying attention. Mm. 
So he's keeping a close Probably eye on her. Probably doing her nails if I've seen this right. movie. I've seen this movie scene. Ladies She's on the phone. Smiling her nails. Oh, yeah. She's got the cat eye glasses. <laughs> She's got a beehive. Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> <laughs> so I says to Jane, I says, <laughs> oh, my God. You know that man's cheating on you. I don't know and why you she's... need to leave him right now. I know why we're in she's Texas. from Jersey. I, we've got a Jersey lady in the jail and then a, a, a British, British magistrate. Yeah. <laughs> what is going on in Texas? So he's watching this lady. He's stealing markers. And on laundry <laughs> rounds, he managed to smuggle himself an extra prison uniform. And these were basically like white two-piece uniforms, just like scrubs almost. Mm-hmm. Just like a white plain shirt with a v-neck collar and white linen pants Mm -hmm. and on wednesday december 11th he plugged up his cell toilet he filled it with water and he dropped the cartridges of the marker ink into the water creating a dye he soaked the extra white uniform in the solution and then all the next day he was like very carefully shaking it and blowing it meticulously so that it would dry and once it did it looked almost identical to the green scrubs worn by visiting doctors. No. And on Friday, December 13th, he slipped into the bathroom during breakfast, put the green uniform on, and he walked right up to the guard on the phone, waved to her, knocked on the glass. She opened the gate for him, and he just kept walking right across the courtyard and straight out the front entrance. A guard tower even called to him, Damn, Doc, those sure do look like prison digs. Uh, To which Stephen laughed and said, Well, don't shoot. (gasps) And he walked right out of the prison once again. He was only there of his 45-year sentence for three months. Okay, like as soon as he went in, he's like, What am I doing? Uh How am I getting the fuck out of here? And he took his time and he planned and he did it. And he says once, there's a quote from him where he's talking about uh, why he got out of prison the way he did. And he says, in Texas, you are authorized to stop a prison break with lethal force. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you could not do it violently. Yeah. It wasn't safe. The only way to do it was to walk out. (laughs) And he managed to do that now multiple times. times. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Once again, Stephen probably could have disappeared gone somewhere and they could have lost track of him but he went back to his love philip was hiding out with a friend in galveston texas when steven tracked him down and he told him he'd made parole but he would run away with him out out of texas made parole yeah again philip come on (laughs) come on buddy like just give it a thought just wanted some money i'm good to go now think see for a minute But he did not give it a thinksy <laughs> for a minute. He went ahead and accepted. Oh, Philip. And said, let's go together. And yeah. they fled to Biloxi, Mississippi. And they had a great old time at the Grand Casino Hotel. Sure. But Philip was getting a little fed up at this point. Again, he's on the run. Right. For something he never even did in the first place. Right. That he didn't even know he was in trouble for. Yeah. That he faked about him being in trouble <laughs> again when oh, he was man. waiting for his bond. I mean, And he's always hearing like, it's going to be okay. I've got this handled, got this. you know. You're in and out of jail, man. I never know what's going on with you. Yeah. So, yeah, it makes sense. They, they finally, everything came to a head for him and they broke out into a huge fight. 
So he blew up at Stephen and he like flipped a table over and he shoved Stephen into a window of floor to ceiling glass in their high level hotel. And the glass bowed, but it did not break. And Philip said, if that thing had given away, I'd be sitting on death row right now. Wow. Yeah. But that kind of tells you how fucking mad he was because he was he was just. I mean, this is a 5'2", well, little, like, sweet, gentle yeah. baby that got so mad that he was willing to almost kill someone. Well, and you'd look at... And I, someone I think, he loved. I think people, like, too, like, quiet people who, like, mm-hmm. don't want a lot of conflict. Like, it's not, you know, you might blow up. Yeah. And when you do, it's all going to come out at once. Yeah. I, that, that's kind of the impression I get from Philip is he's, mm-hmm. like, the kind of guy who's, like, I don't want any trouble. Yes, everything's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm a little upset, but I'll deal with it. Let me just bottle it up, bottle it up, bottle it up. Tamp it down, tamp it down. Uh-huh. And then the cork pops. Yep. And he almost threw someone out a window who's a right. foot taller than him. You know? Right. Very crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then after a call on a tapped phone line, both Stephen and Philip were picked up again by the authorities just about a quarter mile from their hotel. And it would be the last time that they saw each other for seven months They both faced hefty prison sentences, especially Stephen, obviously, who had completely embarrassed the entire state of Texas multiple times. And this time, it was for the last time. But of course it wasn't for the last time. (laughs) Of course it wasn't. He already had things in the works. By the time he was in a squad car, Stephen was concocting his most elaborate escape plan yet. Mm. This one almost a combination of all his previous plans in a lot of ways. This was like his, his the grand opus <laughs> of prison escapes. Like, my finest work. My masterpiece. This is what they'll remember me for. <laughs> like if I'm going out. Going out with a bang. I'm going out big. So while he awaited trial for his escape, he got into this really crazy plan. He started abusing laxatives. This is weirder than art school, right? Like, I know. <laughs> where right? is this going? Like, the Stevens took plans. all the markers away, but suddenly he's <laughs> shitting a lot. He started dropping weight very quickly. And on a prison typewriter, he falsified his own medical records once again. Mm-hmm. When he was sentenced to an additional 45 years, on top of the 45 years he already had to serve, he solemnly accepted. He very quietly said okay that's mm-hmm. if that's how it is then that's Seems how it is fair. and they were like they were like hey uh you, you don't seem like your usual chipper self you know usually when we sentence you to 45 years in jail <laughs> you're all happy and funny about it <laughs> what do you got to say for yourself and he said well you see i just learned that i'm hiv positive oh steven oh, you slippery little steven, rascal even once again He was so dedicated to this con. He starved himself. He threw up his meals. He did not sleep. And again, he's abusing laxatives as well. Like he's just purging from every orifice, it seems like. Oh, God, yeah. Until he got super emaciated. He looked terrible. At over six feet tall, he was only 153 pounds at his trial. Oh, my God. And so, I mean, he's an openly gay man in the mid-90s with symptoms. He's got a piece of paper saying he had HIV. So no one bothered to test him. Yeah. No one. In <laughs> anywhere in the Just long like, line of people that could have done it, and I, no I, one did. I wonder, Speculation Station, once again, I wonder sometimes if the era, mm. the region, 
and what people thought of AIDS back then, maybe that really helped him get away with this because people were probably like, oh, he's got AIDS. Well, I don't want to deal with it. No, it's a good point. You know, I wondered that. Yeah, yeah. He's probably got AIDS. There's nothing we can do. He's a gay guy. He says he's got AIDS. He's got AIDS. Sure. That makes sense to me. Right. Why would he say it if he didn't have it? Yeah. And plus, it made me wonder about the compassionate release that Jimmy got. Right. When, you know, people weren't super clear on how it transmitted right away, you know, at first. So a lot of people were very concerned about airborne transmission or you could touch someone's hand and get AIDS and stuff like they really didn't have a knowledge of that. So I kind of wondered if the prison was like, yeah, get him out of here because he might infect other people Uh with AIDS just by being here. Yeah. So I don't know. That could still be a thing, as you say. He's like, thanks, bigotry. Yeah. You already played into my plan here. (laughs) Use that to my advantage for once. For the next 10 months, they just watched him as he withered away to skin and bones He's showing all the signs of late-stage terminal AIDS. So eventually, as was standard procedure, they gave him a transfer to a prison nursing home just south of San Antonio. And shortly after that, prison officials got a phone call from a physician. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Who who was like, Oh, uh, hello. This is Dr... Reinold, I was just wondering if you had any near-death patients who would be willing to participate in experimental drug therapy for AIDS Right, right, right. Uh, If you do, send them right away. I really need a lot of patients to test on, so I'm sure you have at least one, (laughs) one guy that fits the bill in there. And they're like, well, funny enough, I think I have exactly one guy who meets the exact description you just gave me. Well, bye, Jove. Send him to my way. <laughs> bye, Jove. We get a lot of <laughs> British calls lately. <laughs> well, slap my knee and call me Grasshopper. You send him right this way, ma'am. <laughs> well, that's more like it. <laughs> off he goes. I'm less suspicious. So they put him in a taxi to send him off to this experimental treatment facility. Once again, Stephen walked right out the front door. Oh, my God. This guy? I just cannot. I like that they put him in a taxi. That's very They were nice. like, well, you're about to die, so just you, you take yourself to the experimental medical facility, That's <laughs> inmate. That's so true. <laughs> and what day was it? March 13th, 1998. A Friday. Of course. Oh, my God. Not only that, it was Philip Morris's 39th birthday. 39th? And that's 13 times 3. I think about when he dyed the prison uniform yeah. and he's he's drying it the next day. If he's like, you've got to fucking dry faster because i got to leave wait. on Friday. I can't go on Saturday. <laughs> and that's funny, too, because I feel like a lot of prison breaks are very much like the day is specific because, oh, there'll be less officials there that day. or Someone will be over there. There's a thing happening, and so they'll be distracted or whatever. And for him, it's just like, it's a Friday the 13th. I'm doing it then. I don't care what the fuck else is going on. It's got to (laughs) happen. That's the day. If you're not ready, I'll wait till the next Friday the 13th. Later, that same physician, Dr. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reinhold. Reinhold. I wanted to say Judge Reinhold, but, <laughs> but well, there's no judge. We made, so him, ju- we we made doctor. him a doctor instead. <laughs> Called back to the prison to once again inform him that... Well, sadly, the treatment didn't work. My opus <laughs> was a failure. Oh, I'm so sorry, doctor. Stephen Russell has passed away. Oh, I know you're very broken up about it. We are. He was our favorite escapee. (laughs) 
Well, he's escaped life at this point. Wow. Let me send you a death certificate so you got something on record. I hope that your experimental treatment fares better in the future, Dr. Me Reinhold. too. If you ever got any more uh, patients over there that I can <laughs> I can uh, experiment on, you send them my way. <laughs> They've got to be exactly 6'2 <laughs> and near death. And I only take patients on uh, Friday the 13th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's true. Stephen even sent death certificates to both the prison and the parole board. Ugh. So they could be like, wow, I guess he's really he's dead. dead. Meanwhile, Philip was still in prison and Stephen was determined to get him out. He's like, I'm not leaving my man in there. That's right. That's, he said he would take care of him. I'm going to take care of him. So he forged an attorney's bar card. Because, <laughs> of course. <laughs> And he called the Estelle unit, which was the prison where Philip was staying, and he posed as a judge on the phone. And he issued a bench warrant to have him moved from that prison outside Houston to a Dallas prison uh, so that Stephen could go visit him disguised as an attorney named Jean-Louis. Ooh. And that way, you know, people wouldn't recognize him when he walked in. <laughs> and he tried and tried. He saw Philip a few times and he tried to get him released but he was not able to make it work and he needed to flee because they were starting to catch on. Mm-hmm. Authorities were definitely dubious of the death certificates. I'm kind of glad point, to hear you know? it, to be honest. I'm <laughs> like, it's, shit, y'all it is don't getting embarrassing. Care yeah. at all. <laughs> Come on, guys. And they were like, yeah, maybe this guy faked his death. I imagine they're thinking, like, well, he was getting real sick. I saw him lose a lot of weight. He was throwing up. He had all the signs of terminal AIDS and even a piece of paperwork that said he had AIDS. So, I saw two of them. So he's got to be dead, right? Hey, Sheriff, what's if we do some police work on this? Whoa, week? now, Carlton. <laughs> Carlton? <laughs> we don't do that kind of stuff here. Oh, it's just a thought. I don't right. know why I had one of them. It always hurts my head. But you know what, Carlton? You might be onto something. Let's do some police work. <laughs> And sure enough, they actually did their own investigating for once (laughs) and found out that, yes, the death certificate had been forged. It was all fake. But by the time U.S. Marshals visited the prison, Stephen was already gone. Mm -hmm. He had totally dropped off the radar. But he's still trying to get Philip out of jail, of course. Yeah. And so in March 1998, an attorney offered to represent Philip for $50,000. But Stephen's like... I don't have that kind of money right now. I can't get that kind of money together very quickly. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, I guess I should get a get a job and save up. Just kidding. He went to <laughs> Nations Bank. <laughs> he strolled into Nations Bank and posed as a Virginia millionaire with the name of an old friend of his, Art Sandler. Art Sandler. Art Sandler. No relation to Adam. Virginia millionaire Art, Art Sandler. Sandler. Let's hear him. Okay. <laughs> he applied for a loan. Okay. Hello, Mr. Banker. My name is Art Sandler, and I need a $75,000 loan so that I can purchase me a nice barbecue restaurant. Oh, yeah, a barbecue restaurant. Of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> seems like a legitimate reason to want $75,000 for a millionaire. Well, of course it is. You know, you can't start a business with your own money. <laughs> Whatever he needed $75,000 for. I wanted to buy a bunch of socks, you see. <laughs> I need $75,000 worth of socks. I got these new bombas I want to try. <laughs> yeah, Stephen said that he chose $75,000. 
because 50000 was for this lawyer for Philip. And 25000 was for, quote, sundry expenses. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to have something to live on. I got to eat. You know? <laughs> I got to eat, you know. <laughs> but the bankers got pretty suspicious. Now, here again is where Stephen is not given credit where it's due because, like the military, banks are very suspicious of yeah. people who want money. Yeah. And so they alerted the police that something might be up. They're not sure about this Art Sandler guy. Mm-hmm. And the police came in, and Stephen was arrested. And that was it. Seriously, this time, his biggest escape was over. It was time for jail. He had no more tricks. So he just had to surrender. Nope. He faked a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And that got him transported to a hospital instead of jail. Which he loves. His favorite place. Yeah. It's always easier to escape from a hospital than a jail. <laughs> and he was placed on security watch. Okay. 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 Well, that's that's got to be it then, right? Well, <laughs> stupidly, they had never taken his cell phone away from him. Oh. They put him into security watch oh at the hospital. God. So he simply picked up his cell phone, called the hospital, impersonating an FBI agent. He's literally like, hey there, this is Angel. Johnson with the FBI. Uh, yeah, you got Stephen Russell over there on a security watch. You can just cut him on loose. We're done with him. <laughs> just let him go. Just let him go. And they just did. And, and they, they just did. did. They like, were just like, sure, if you say so, boss. I got a phone call says to let him go. <laughs> you guys go with that? You didn't even have to fax a piece of paper or anything. <laughs> well, who was the phone call from? <laughs> uh, Agent Johnson? Uh, checks out. It's an agent. Johnson's a name. <laughs> Doesn't sound made up to me. Uh, if he says he's an agent, he's not, I'm not going to press that. Well, you can't just lie and say you're an agent. What yeah, who, What that, kind of criminal would do that? That's a crime. You can't impersonate an agent. That's a crime. <laughs> so it's got to be one. I mean, you guys. Cut him loose. Like, seriously, are you even asleep? Yeah, they're just all asleep at the wheel. <laughs> oh, my God. But, okay, a couple weeks later, in early April... U.S. Marshals did track him down in Florida, and this time they were not going to let him slip away. The Texas Department of Criminal Justice even told the Marshals, quote, if he comes out of the apartment and says that he's President Bill Clinton and you believe that he's Bill Clinton, don't believe him. (laughs) Arrest him. (laughs) Oh, my God. And I I am we're not. Uh, gonna do the gag anymore it is played out that really was it for real this was his last arrest they threw every book they had at Stephen yeah he had embarrassed them over and over again and you know Texas Mm. is very sensitive to being insulted right also it's Governor George W. Bush oh boy he hates being made a fool of fool me once shame on you fool fool me can't get fooled again (laughs) It's so ridiculous. I mean, at the time, it was the most embarrassing president we'd had. Oh, boy. Things would change. Uh, So that was it. They were so upset that they sentenced him to 144 years in prison. That was 45 years for his scams and 99 years for his multiple escapes. His current release date is July 12th, 2140. (sighs) And I, 2140. I mean, you know what, Texas? Punish yourselves. I know. Because 
how many times did your complete incompetence? Yeah. And I get that you're embarrassed because he exposed that incompetence. Right. But at any number of checkpoints, this should not have happened. Yeah. This guy should have served out his sentence, maybe not made parole because he kept trying to escape and failing. Mm -hmm. But ridiculous how many times, how many times he just walked out. So why don't you lock yourselves up for being so bad right. at what you do? And at this point, I mean, he's escaped so many times, you kind of want to give it to him, <laughs> don't like you? A, you get a punch card. Yes. Like, <laughs> your fifth escape and you're free. free. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you got us. Howard. You win. We obviously can't keep you. You slippery bastard. Philip was released on early parole. He moved back to Arkansas, where he seems to still be living today. He has a small apartment where he paints and draws and a remote lake house where he lives far away from anyone. Yeah. Uh, which I kind of get. That sounds nice. Yeah, it does. Uh, Ewan McGregor plays him in the movie I Love You, Philip Morris. Oh. Um, and so he came to spend a few days with him to prep for the role and, you know, Philip was like, that's so flattering that he would come spend time with me. Yeah. Uh, which, please, you and McGregor, come spend time I with mean, me. <laughs> you I'll, can learn to play me in Like, I don't want to, you know, speculation station here, but does that kind of almost make it worth it? <laughs> like you get to hang out with you and McGregor for a couple, for a couple of days? days? <laughs> and he played you in a movie? Oh, man, come on. That's pretty cool. What do I have to do? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently be lied to a lot. <laughs> and Philip loves the movie I Love You, Philip Morris. Yeah. Um, he's says he especially loves it mostly because it portrays him as the victim. He's, you know, been yeah. kind of denying his involvement. So it's probably, yeah, pretty yeah. nice to have some validation on the yeah. big screen to be like, see, I told you, I didn't know anything about that. Because he's definitely had his critics. Oh, sure. Yeah. And he, he says Ewan's por portrayal of him is spot on. Right. He's like, he got the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I cried, because uh -huh. <laughs> I cry a lot. He's like, I cry a lot. He did it right. <laughs> and uh, I think Steven said the same thing about Jim Carrey. Look, I, if Ewan McGregor played me in a movie, I don't care what he does. I, I'm going to be great. like, yep, that's me. That's exactly who I am. I am Ewan McGregor. <laughs> I'd be watching it going, how do how does he did that? How do you do yeah. that? So charmingly. I would also like to do that charmingly. Ewan McGregor, please play the better version of me <laughs> so that I may imitate it. Yes. <laughs> and then I will be a better, I'll be a lesser version of Ewan McGregor. <laughs> In an interview with Gina Piccolo on The Daily Beast, Philip says, This sounds crazy. After all he's done to me, as messed up as my life has been, and seven years in prison over something that I didn't do or even know about, I am so mad at him. I could just beat him to a pulp, beat him until he dies. But I love him. You explain that. Yeah. That love is weird, man. Love is weird. Love is very weird. Mm -hmm. If you haven't noticed from this show. <laughs> <laughs> or your own life, possibly. Right. When asked if Stephen were to ever get out, if Philip would see him again, he said, I don't anticipate him coming out anytime soon, but there are various reasons why I'd love to sit down face to face with him again. I'd like him to tell me he's truly sorry and mean it. But we'd never be together again. I could never trust him. I wake up in the middle of the night sweating, thinking I'm still in prison. And when I think of those things, it makes me mad at Steve. Understandable. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. He says, Stephen Russell is the most charming man you'll ever meet in your life. He's not the most handsome man, but I don't care who you are. If Stephen Russell wants to attach himself to your life somehow, you will fall in love with him. Period. Mm. And that is just what 
makes a successful con man a successful oh, con man, yeah. you know, is just that charm, that way to just get in your head and make you just want to believe him mm-hmm. in all the ridiculous things he's telling so you. So you decide to. You choose it's to. It's sort of yeah. like Phillips, yeah. whole situation. And also, like, he makes you kind of, like, he did it to me in this story, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I'm, I'm like, man, he is just the gall on this guy is so insane and I kind of want him to win anyway right. even though I know he's not doing good things right. he's not treating people right Right. Um, I'm still like I still kind of want him to get away with it isn't that weird? We have a tendency I think to root for maybe because our prison system is so fucked up <laughs> and that yeah yeah. Well, and we like audacity. We, sure. we love that in this country, especially. Sure. I don't. I don't know. I can't speak to other countries, but we love the more create, like the more out there you are. It yeah. feels like the more we're like, all right, yeah, <laughs> fine, let him have it. I mean, he really went for it. So bold, boldness takes the day, right? You right. know, a lot of times, right? But it is true that I mean, Stephen's not, you know, a great guy in this yeah. story. Even so, he did abuse Philip regularly yeah you know I mean, mentally emotionally lies yeah, yeah. Lies. i don't think he ever hit him or anything like that right, don't right. want don't to throw that on him but you know he's kind of trapping him in a little bit of a prison of his life yeah and he even tried to keep philip in jail longer than him at like some point in all of these prison escapes philip said stephen was scared that philip would get out of jail before him and that he'd go back to his ex if he did so before Philip was paroled, Stephen posed as a DA and called the judge to make sure Philip stayed longer than him. Like Philip would have gotten out that night. Right. But he arranged it so that he could get out of jail first and have more control over his release right. and where he went after he left. Right. Brutal. Yeah, Jimmy, his first boyfriend that we talked about, his mother even said, I really liked Stephen at first. But he conned Jimmy. He lied like a rug. He told one lie after another, and he deserves to be where he is 100% because he'll do it all again. He should be in prison forever. And obviously, there's something to that. I mean, like we said, he caused a lot of damage. Yeah, he stuck it to the man, and we love that. Mm -hmm. You know, he got his from from an insurance company. Like, that whole industry is fucked up. Yeah. And he still manipulated people and abused people. And dragged Philip into this world that he had no part in. Yeah. And we can't really know what his life would have been, but we can assume that he wouldn't have been thrown in jail for seven years like he was. Right. So at a certain point, Stephen's a bad guy. Yep. Right? Very true. And if we need, however we punish bad people as a means of a deterrent to stop people from being bad in the future, obviously our prison system is fucked. Because at now... 64 years old, Stephen is still in prison. Since his arrest in 98 and his subsequent sentencing, Stephen has been in solitary confinement in one room for 23 hours a day with one hour a day to shower and exercise. In Stephen's own words, he says, do I belong in prison? Yes, I do. I most definitely do not belong in solitary, however. That is a cruel and unusual punishment, completely disproportionate to my crimes. In his situation, his spine has become so impacted over the years that now he's bound to a wheelchair whenever he leaves his cell. He says, it is the only legal form of torture in today's prison system, but it's a slow maltreatment of the body and mind that, 
in the short run at least, leaves no visible signs. That's why it's permitted. So he it's is not really, wrong. No, it's, it's unconscionable mm-hmm. that this guy has been in solitary confinement for over two decades now. Every single day. He describes it pretty graphically in some of his interviews mm-hmm. where he's like, I mean, these visitations are taking place with thick plexiglass between him and whomever right. it is. And he doesn't touch anyone. He has not had a human contact except for when the guard takes his arm to take him wow. out to his shower Right. in that length of time as well. Yeah. He talks about others in solitary with him who he's like, I've seen 30 suicides. They cut themselves. They go insane. Yeah. I mean, solitary is a very real torture. Yeah. It really is. It yeah. should is not humane treatment for right. any person. No matter what they did, right. to be perfectly honest. Yeah. I know there's I some very heinous crimes and you get mad. I get mad. I'm like, I would trounce their face in right now yeah. and curb stomp them or something in right. my brain. You know, I'm getting real <laughs> yeah. heated. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when they're actually being in the custody of our state governments or our federal government or our city government or whomever they're in custody, they should be treated a certain way. And yeah. that way should be pretty humane. Yeah. Technically, according to our principles. It's it's not about rehabilitating you to be a better citizen or equipping you with skills and behaviors or whatever to get you out there and be a, a normal person going around being productive. It's not about that. It never is. And then you can even see in this story Stephen had behavioral issues as a kid. He got sent to a home where he met only more violent people who made him more violent. You know what I mean? Right, like, right. It didn't help him necessarily to go to that home. Yeah. I don't think it changed much for him. And then every time we have a guy who had a rental car, he owed money. That's it. He owed right. money that he couldn't pay. Right. And then they he went back to jail. He went back to jail. You know what I mean? Oh, like yeah. You just can't get out of a cycle. Once you're in, you can't get out of the cycle. And that's sort of the point. Well, that's Stephen says, you know, that society tends to look down on prisoners and that many people just feel like whatever they experience is what they deserve because they broke the law. He says, if we expect prison to rehabilitate offenders... Or if we expect inmates to reintegrate into society once they've done their time, the less broken they are when they finally come out, the easier that will be. Last December in 2020, Stephen was up for parole and was denied. According to the Texas DOJ, uh, he was to be reassessed actually this very month of October oh. of 2021. Okay. So if we hear anything, we will definitely update y'all in a later mm-hmm. story. Um. But you know what? That's all very dour. The prison system is a dark conversation. And this one definitely sparks it because we're obviously left at this moral conundrum of like, somebody's a bad person. Somebody's broken the law. Somebody's taken advantage of people. But maybe we shouldn't torture them all the time. Mm-hmm. A much lighter topic of conversation would be this delightful movie yes, about this. <laughs> which we did watch. We did watch last night. And... um. I really, really loved. Um, yeah, it was good. I yeah. saw some reviews that was like kind of messy or something, but I really liked it. I thought it was pretty tight, honestly. Um, Jim Carrey <laughs> is phenomenal. He's so good. Because he does this thing where he really takes his time with it and sometimes doesn't have the answer. You can see him scrambling for it in his mind, but not in a way that makes it seem like 
these people are idiots for falling for it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really delicate portrayal of a, a, a very realistic portrayal of a very good liar. Yeah. He's not so good that you're like, this is scripted. Mm-hmm. No one would be that quick on their feet. Yeah. It's very steady mm-hmm. and believable. I, I thought he was great. Yeah. And they had great chemistry, too. Did, I yeah. thought they were so, like, such a cute. They were so adorable yeah. together. And they, like, legit would, like, stare into each other's eyes. Uh-huh. And it was very epic love story um, yeah. kind of beats that it was hitting. Right. Um, Ewan McGregor was so cute. He was, like... Yeah. I I don't know Philip, but <laughs> <laughs> I I think he crushed it. He certainly did that that looking away kind of thing really well too, because he would be like, "Oh, really? Is is everything going good? Well, okay, let's you know go go let's go do it." You know what I mean? Yeah. He kind of would have a question, but then he'd just let it go. Yeah, and it's exactly what we were thinking. Like mm, that's probably what he was doing. Yep. Literally, I uh, have a personal connection too because mm-hmm. um uh good friend and former boss of mine his name is joe Connolly. he's a prop master uh in atlanta i worked with him on uh, the vampire diaries and dynasty a little bit uh and he's just one of the coolest people in the world and one of the best prop masters mm-hmm. out there and he he did this movie and so i texted him that we were doing this story mm-hmm. and that we watched the movie last night and it was so good uh all those all those needles that jim carrey stabs into himself Ugh. it's classic Joe Connolly work uh, and so good and disturbing. And Joe told me that they happened to be filming on a Friday the 13th. So no, that's amazing. He had to stock the prop truck with glasses and hats and fake mustaches just in anticipation that he would actually show up after he broke out of prison. Oh, my God. <laughs> they were just waiting so for funny. him. I love it. That's hilarious. Yeah. They were all looking around like, well, keep an eye out. <laughs> and he just shows up like, actually, I'm the director. <laughs> I've been directing the movie the whole time. <laughs> actually, I've been Jim Carrey this whole time. <gasps> Whoa. Whoa. Good trick. If anyone could do it. I know, right? It's Stephen Russell. So the book, I Love You, Philip Morris, yeah. came out in 2003. Okay. And it caught the interest of these filmmakers, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, who they said they saw it as an epic love story, which sure, they sure. totally presented as yeah. a movie. Um, but the two people in the love story happened to be gay. Right. Um, well, it was 2003. So when they pitched the story, Ficarra recalls, they said, great, sounds like an amazing story. Can you turn Philip into a woman? Wow. First of all, which makes no sense at no. all. It does not work at all. How are they going to meet in prison? <laughs> How are they going to meet in prison? That was my first question. Seriously. How are they going to meet in prison if she is a, a woman? They don't go together. Yeah. Like, they don't live together in the same prison. And the producer says, Yeah, you're the writer. That's your job to figure out. <laughs> Sorry, Rip Torn. <laughs> <laughs> Make it work. I wanted to add this quote in <laughs> from a, a Nam official mm-hmm. who worked for the, the the company that he was CFO at. Right. He said in an interview that Steve Russell was still one of the best CFOs I'd ever worked with. <laughs> See, Steven still has a future. We would just let him out of jail. Man. <laughs> no, but yeah, that's funny. They say not a single magic marker has gone missing. Nothing has 17 at the time of this article, which was I think a couple of years ago, but they were like 17 Friday the 13th have gone by yeah. and nobody, nothing, you know, 
apparently they do amp up their security on Friday the 13th. Sure. Because they do know about that. Sure. Uh, So maybe this will be his first escape not on Friday the 13th. Look, if if it turns out that he doesn't have an impacted spine, if the wheelchair is bullshit, Mm -hmm. if he's actually like super healthy and he's just been playing them this whole time and he's got some investment account somewhere where he's made millions of dollars. Yeah. And when he gets out, he's going to be sipping drinks on a beach in Mexico somewhere. Then great. You know. Fifth escape. You're free. (laughs) (laughs) But... He did also say when he was kind of describing his prison experience, uh-huh. he was talking about how um, Texas prides itself on only spending $2 a day to feed their inmates. Oh, my God. Um, so this, wow. he's overweight not just because of a sedentary lifestyle, but because right. he's literally getting chopped a spoonful of chopped ham, yeah. boiled egg, and mayonnaise yeah. with pickles in it. Yeah. Like apparently he calls it cat food. Uh-huh. And he's like, they just, that's what I eat. Yep. And, and he, so I'm fat now. <laughs> he is. He's gained nope. a lot of weight and yeah. he is ghostly pale. Yeah, he's very pale. Because he never sees the sun. Right. And then he also came out with a follow-up, um, Life After Philip Morris. Yeah. Um, which is actually written as a stage play. Interesting. Um, it's very interesting, yeah. I'm curious to check which that out. It kind of talks about his, mostly his time in prison and how he feels now about Philip and everything. Yeah. It is very interesting. It's he's, very funny, too. All the reviews were like, I was dying laughing for oh, this whole play. So He says cool. that um, Steve McVicker and other writers who've come to visit him have really helped him grow as a person and a writer. So, mm-hmm. like, writing is something that he is very much focused on yeah. uh, in his time in prison. So I could see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he did it all for love. He did it all for love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I am totally blown away by this story. Uh, it is altogether fascinating and exciting mm-hmm. and challenging, I think, because it really gives you kind of a lot of moral conundrums, too. It does. Um, because, again, it's like you, even as even even if we sit here and talk about it, we slowly tend to shift back towards like, yeah, go, Stephen. And then it's yeah, like, but no, he's all right. no, wait a second. Course correct. This is not a good person. <laughs> He just doesn't deserve to be tortured like this. Yeah, I think it's just because the punishment doesn't fit the crime yeah. is what really makes it like, I do, yeah. well, I feel badly for Steven because he's really suffering for, and another point that people bring up a lot is that, of course, he's stolen a lot less money than like the Enron guys. Oh my God. Or Goldman Sachs. Seriously. Or any of those investors. So it's like- Who how, saw like no prison time, basically. No, at yeah. all. In fact, got bonuses, some yeah. of them, for the theft yeah. that they already had so much money. Yeah. It's like, it's so maddening right. to be like, okay, so just a, a regular average Joe who dares to steal any amount of money from anybody yep. has to go to jail. Yep. But some investor who sucks and has all the money in the world already, right. we're going to do whatever we can to cover his ass or her ass and keep them out of jail. So, yeah, I f- the average Joe of me is going, well, get Steven out of there. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, mean, I would wager that the people he stole money from, which is insurance companies yeah. and NAM and banks, all probably have committed more egregious crimes than he ever did. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they just you can't get caught for that. I believe you. Yeah. Who knows? Absolutely. That's my biggest speculation station of the night. <laughs> but it's. You all agree. That's an Everybody knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, such a good story. Thank you to Chelsea slash Whoa, I'm tripping. Yeah. On Instagram. This was a very good suggestion. Appreciate Absolutely. you. It took us on a very fun research journey. Yes. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, and great movie recommendation as right, well. Right, right. 
So yeah, tell us what you think about this story. We want to hear from you. As always, our email is romance at iheartmedia.com. That's right. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at oh great, it's Eli. I'm at Diana Might Boom. And of course, you can reach the show at Radic Romance. And then please tune in for our next episode, of yeah. course. And tell all your friends to tune in as well. We are. We're going to try and come back to you guys with some spooky stories this month for Halloween. So look forward to those. Uh, not just more Friday the 13th, but <laughs> yeah. ghosts and corpses and gross. pirates and all kinds of crazy stuff. So We're stay tuned. Excited. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see you next time. See ya. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.